What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today's show is one of the best that I've recorded in a while. Um, what I really loved about it is if you're just getting started or even if you do, have done a couple deals, there are so many tips in here about how to have confidence in your numbers, your offer. What we did was I have a guy on the, on the show called Ralph Rivera. He's in New York City and uh, well, Long Island outside of New York. And he broke down one of his deals and throughout the whole breakdown, all the numbers, everything, he shared all the behind the scenes, but we gave a tips all along the way of some things that you should think about and do whenever you're you know, buying a house, making an offer, um, how you're finding them, how you're negotiating with repairs, what to look for, ARVs, selling the house, so many gold nuggets in here. This was a phenomenal interview and I hope you guys enjoy. My name is Bill Allen and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. Hey, everybody. I have a really fun show for you today. We're going to talk all about like ARVs, estimating repair costs, and breaking down the numbers of one of my guests' real deals today. So I want to show you kind of, I want to take a uh, Take away the fear and anxiety that comes with uh, buying either your first property or next property or thinking that you might be getting it wrong. And uh, just kind of talk through some of that because I know when I was getting started flipping houses or wholesaling houses, my biggest concern was, well, what if I get the ARV wrong? What if my uh, repair estimates are wrong? All that stuff. Like, what if I lose money? So we're going to give you the best tools that we can give you today to make sure that some of that stuff is on and, and kind of some of the mindset around just just getting out there and going too, you know? So I've got a great guest today. He's been on the show before. We talked about raising money last time and all the capital that he's raised. But Ralph Rivera is in New York. Ralph, you're in New York, New York, right? Correct, Long Island. Long Island. So he's got some interesting numbers of his deal. So he's got to make sure it's on. He's got all kinds of uh, taxes and closing costs and, and insurance and all of the stuff that comes into uh, houses in New York, but we're going to talk all about one of his deals. And I'm just going to jump in and ask some questions that you might be asking at home to make sure that he gives you everything that he can from an experienced operator of estimating repair costs and doing a bunch of deals. So Ralph, real quick, if you can just introduce yourself and then we'll also in the description, guys, we'll put his last podcast on where we talk a lot more details about his background, his history and all that stuff. But if you can give us the cliff notes version, Ralph, we'll just like jump right into the, uh, to the okay. deals. Ralph Rivera, I'm in the New York market on Long Island, which is a suburb of the city. I've uh, been doing this uh, over 20 years now, on and off. Uh, just started to really turn it into a business a few years back, probably about four years, five years ago. Um, got some mentorships from uh, somebody local who was really good who gave me the basics. Then hooked up with you guys at Seven Figure, and it actually took me from doing a few deals a year to actually turning it into a business. I kind of got the tools from a lot of the, the uh, runway coaches, and uh, actually helped me put it all together and gave me kind of direction what to go. And uh, 2023 was a, a rough year a little bit, um, but it actually was a, a building year for me. So I think 2024 is going to be awesome, to be honest with you. Why was it a rough year? Why would you say that? I, there's probably some people that are listening that are feeling the same way, maybe a bit discouraged and uh, coming this year going, maybe it's me. Nah, uh, in the beginning of the year, I know interest rates were moving. I did a couple of deals. I thought I had... I had calculated right. I didn't realize the interest rates would move as fast as they did. Then I got burned. You know, I skinned my knees, lost a couple bucks. Um, and in the interim, realized that buying, I was networking, getting most of my deals. And I realized that I'm not going to show up at a house with 30 other people. It wasn't worth it anymore. So I started doing my own direct-to-seller marketing, which kind of pushed me out of the market a little bit, setting the CRM up, getting all that stuff done, putting everything in place, hired an employee, and then just started marketing like nuts. And then all of a sudden now, toward the end of the year, I started to bear the fruits of that labor. So nice. it took a little bit, but yeah. Well, I love that. Thanks for being a little vulnerable. It's always nice to hear on here. Uh, everybody <laughs> thinks that the people that are on the podcast, like everything's perfect and going uh, exactly as it should. So we're all fallible. We all, like everybody's got their knee skinned in the beginning of last year. Like it just, it nobody thought that like, um, and it changed like a light switch, right? We were talking about that in July, like a year and a half ago. 
like be ready for this and then just be able to, if you can weather the storm, if you can bridge the gap over that time, then you're going to come out on the backside doing really, really well. So I'm excited for you. We just had a meeting here at the, uh, at the office where everybody showed up and yeah. I'm excited for all the people coming out of there and, and keep growing their business. So let's talk about, let's talk, maybe we just jump into one of your deals, like a recent deal that you've done. You can talk okay. through some of the numbers and some of the things that you think about when it comes across your desk for the first time to just help the folks that are analyzing deals right now. All right. Well, I, I picked up the deal through networking, right? There's a couple of uh, local RIA that I belong to and I, somebody brought something. I had helped somebody purchase rentals before, showed them the framework because I'm really good with the rental end of it. So I helped that person. He was a broker, you know, has his own brokerage and stuff like that. He doesn't want to do any flips. So something came across his desk that he thought that I might be interested in. Okay. So, so I don't want to pass this up. Um, I'm just going to jump in here from time to time and ask questions. I'm sorry. Um, how, how would you recommend somebody get started doing some of that stuff? Like what, I, what it sounds like to me is you added value to this guy. And so when he got a deal that came across that didn't fit his buy box because he's buying rentals, you were the only person that he thought about sending it to. Is that right? I get first crack at all his short sales and he has a brokerage group, like one of the largest in Nassau County. Um, so what happened is what being that I did, I had a relationship between the, between the, the local real estate association. And then I had invited him out to like two or three of my rentals as I, as I was doing them and showed them what the numbers would be, showed them what the renovations would be, showed them what kind of person they're gonna, you know, the, the typical tenant profile, all the stuff that he needed. And he wound up buying two rentals. So after that, he was like, we went to dinner a couple of times and then now I'm the guy. So he gets anything, I'm the guy. Did you, did you do all of that just to try to get deals? No, to be honest with you, there's always a little bit of selfishness in something when you do it, I guess, you know, but the intention was he's a young guy and I really wanted to help him because I had been through, when you go through certain things, it, you, you want to try to help people kind of curb that a little bit or soften it for them so they know what to expect. Even when they get a little bit of a setback, it's not that they're, they're not that they're doing something wrong or that they don't understand. That's just part of what you're doing, you know? So a lot of people get bumped around and think, that they're doing something wrong when they're not. It's just a process, you know? So helping the guy out, I, I, I actually enjoy the fact that he bought a few rentals. It makes me feel good that I helped him out, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I love that answer. Like really, um, I, I believe that you would have done it anyway. You're just serving and giving back and, and helping people. And then what comes after that is um, this, this sense of needing to pay you back for that when it goes well, right? There's this law of reciprocity, it's called, of, hey, like Ralph's the guy. You became the guy because you really helped him and supported him and and did some things without asking for anything in return. It wasn't like, yeah. oh yeah, I'll show you this, but you got to give me first crack at all your short sales. Or, mm -hmm. hey, I'll show you this, but, and I'm going to take you to dinner a couple of times, but, you know, next time you get a few deals, you got to send them over to me first without showing them to anybody else. Like, is, yeah. is that a deal? No, he, just did, he just did that and it was... I'm going to say probably a year later after I had already helped them. So it wasn't like, you know, it was right after. And like you said, I, I think if you do good things, good things happen to you. Even though you go through your hard times, I think at the end of the day, you wind up in, in a good spot. That's what I For think. For sure. I mean, people can see your heart, whether you say it or not too. And, um, and the, the next piece is how would you recommend somebody who is just getting started, start networking like this? Like, what would mm -hmm. you recommend they do? Maybe they don't have all the experience that you had of buying rentals and things like that. Like, how could they get plugged in and start networking and try to find deals that way? Well, the first thing I would do is local REAs are usually a really good spot, right? Because those are the people who are doing things. You'll have your guys who are quiet. You'll have your guys who are looking and learning, but you'll have guys that are doing deals. And those are the people, when I first started, I did the same thing. I latched onto them. I called them up. Some guy was talking about lending private money. He was an attorney. I wound up saying, listen, let me take you out for a couple of drinks. Went and met with him. Before you know what, the guy's lending me money. Then he's, he gets deals at, at his law firm, and I'm getting deals from him. So it just, from a conversation. I, and I, had, I really had zero to offer. I was, on, I was on the flip side. I was a guy looking for the knowledge. And it just grew from there. So if you can, listen, just be honest with people. If you lie to them, they're going to know that you don't know, right? Because guys who have been doing this, like a, like a, an attorney, they're seasoned. They know what's going on. So, and people who are doing deals, they'll know that you're, you know, that you're green and that you don't know what's going on. So just be honest with them. Tell them you're looking to learn. Tell them you can bring value to them. If they're, I mean, if you got to run to the store and pick something up for the guy, even if it saves him a half hour, an hour, two hours out of his day, you may appreciate it. You know, just be, like you said, just be transparent and be honest. You know, everybody thinks there's so much of a mystique to this business and it's not, it's just work. So once you find out that it's just work, 
and you help people and because you can give something you may be able to add value that you don't know at this point until you talk to that person that's what i would do i would network that way yeah i love that the other thing that i'm going to mention just because ralph uh didn't really bring it up is there's a lot of online communities now too on facebook so local Facebook groups, but you've got to get it off the digital platform. So you really, the cool, good thing about RIA meetings is you actually get to meet face-to-face. -face, like, you know, you're there. You get to know the people, like Ralph said, you can take them out and, and you know, go to dinner or, or stay afterwards or do like a separate meetup on the top of that or walk some properties and things. So on Facebook, it's a good place to make that initial connection, but you've got to get it off the digital platform and, and into person because that's where trust is built the most. Um, really, so I like, I'm selling a car right now and all these people are messaging me, like they're making me offers and things like that. I'm like, you haven't even seen the car yet. Like, you're not serious. So come see the car, come meet me. We'll go test drive it. I want to see that you're a real person. I want to, and, and then we'll start talking about price, you know, or let's FaceTime and walk through it. Like until you actually show me a step of commitment, it's, it's really not like you're not serious. And so that same thing online, I think there's great communities for that. And that would be my advice to you. Uh, all yeah, right. You sure. found this deal. Go ahead. No, that's how I felt when I went to the altitude meeting. You know, I've seen these people on the screen and now I'm getting to, you know, see Adam with you. I'm getting this Devin and Lindsay Arco and Lyle and all these people that were there, you know, to meet them personally is a totally different experience in my opinion anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. for sure. Even, yeah, even inside of like our program, like you're talking about um, getting into the in-person events, getting together, small groups, things like that, the side conversations, all that stuff is really, really important. So, uh, okay. So we, right now we've, Okay, we got a deal. So he found it through networking. So let's talk about that. What's next? Okay. Uh, I had a chance to go look at it. First thing he did is he told me the price of what they were asking. I went and take a look at the house, the property where it was, was on a busy street and everything. Um, and I made an offer. I made an offer at asking price. Right. Okay, so let's, let's step back first. So the first thing, uh, so this obviously came from uh, this broker that you said. Right. Um, what did you get in the beginning? What are some of the things that you ask for before you, like when you analyze it from the desk before you go to the property itself? Like well, what, what I do is obviously you need the address, okay, right? Address? Address over here. What's important is taxes, school district. I look for that. And then the type of work that he thinks it needs, whether it's vacant or it's occupied, right? Because I won't go, at this point, I'm not ready to go after an occupied place because it'll take a year to get him out in New York. So I won't go after an occupied uh, flip. Okay. So, um, and then asking price, right? Correct. So we got price address, the amount of work that he thinks it needs if it's vacant or it's, um, occupied. it's occupied. And then when you get the address, you're looking at some of the estimated costs, uh, like taxes in your area, um, right, anything school. else, taxes, what else? Taxes, school district, um, school district. Okay. Why do you care really about school district over here? It's, it's a big deal because you can be in a place that uh, it's highly taxed and the school system is, isn't rated as good, doesn't have the uh, old sports programs and stuff. So they're less desirable than other school districts. Where do you look for that? How do you find that info? On public records and in, in MLS. I go right up on public records. Sometimes Zillow will tell you the school district, you could search it, the history and do stuff you use on the, the rankings on Zillow. So they have like the, um, the school rankings like uh, one through 10. No, it, for me, because it's so local, I know, you yeah. know, like if it's in the school, listen, you can be in one town and in that town, the school system isn't as good as the town next to it, but you could still be in that town and be good. And your school district is the town with, with schools better. So I'll give you a perfect example. If you were in North Babylon and you went to West Babylon schools, the house is worth more than if you were in North Babylon and went to North Babylon schools. I get yeah. more money. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and the reason why Ralph is bringing this up is because on resale, as he's flipping it, the people that are buying it, there's a higher demand for the school, certain school districts. Sure. And now this is as a realtor, the challenge that you run into with that, that is you can't really like pump and promote that those school districts all the time, but everybody knows that it's a huge deal. Like right. the families are going to show up to the realtor. Realtor can't say, hey, you have to be in this school district. But the families show up and say, we want to be in that school district. Realtor said, okay, yeah, let's go. Yeah. And so you won't see it like written all over the descriptions and stuff like that just because it's a there's some laws around that in most cities yeah. for realtors. But everybody knows that that's the, that's the truth. So the school district really matters because that's resale price, supply and demand. Um, okay, address, work it needs, vacant. Do you get photos of the property? If they have them. If they have them, nine, nine out of 10 times, 
they'll have some, especially my guys, because they know what I look for. But sometimes they don't. But like for me, usually it's not that far from me. I don't really stray that far from where I'm at. This particular property was in the same town I live in. So I said, listen, don't worry about it. I'll go run over there. I want to get a bird's eye view. Let me go take a look. I'll give you a call back in a couple hours. And then I just ran. Okay. And then you're probably also finding out, like, how do I get into it? Like, do they need to be there? Is there a lockbox? Those kind of things might be a question. Yeah, sometimes I do things that aren't quite conventional. Okay. And they're fine with it, though? They're like, hey, yeah, just go ahead. Or they have a lockbox. They'll give me the lockbox code and say, okay, here, you know, go in there and do that. Actually, when I went into this particular house, there was shells and and stuff like that. So I thought somebody had gotten in it. It was a gun safe in there. So I was a little concerned when I walked through. You say shells like like bullet shells. You're talking about casings. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, all right. We might have some other questions to ask. All right. So we got the address. We got the work. We got a vacant uh, asking price. uh, Photos if we have it. Some estimated costs of the work that it needs. Some other estimated costs like um, taxes and things like that for you and then school district. So you're starting to like come up with an idea in your head before you even go out there of what you can pay, what you think the ARV is going to be. Is there any other work that you do before you go out and look at the property? Like, are you running? I go and look around first before I go out. I'll take a quick look on the MLS because I'm a realtor. So I can look on the MLS just to see what price houses are selling for in the area. So but you're looking in, at some, you're trying to estimate the ARV before you even go out to yeah, look at the property. But I got to be honest with you, like the market's being so tight right now. I know any house depending on the size, like 625,000 or less flies off the shelf here right now. Okay. Right. So, and you're looking for I, that. That's what you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. So any, you know, what on the ARV. So when I knew I was purchasing this house, I knew the ARV was way under 600. Can we so talk I, all about the numbers? What's that? Can we talk about the numbers openly? Absolutely. I could. Okay. Us. So what was the asking price that they, he was asking? They were asking three, three fifteen. Three hundred fifteen thousand. Okay. Correct. And what did you My think wife, the ARV was before you went out to look at it? Before I went to look at it, I thought the house was probably a four seventy five house. Four seventy five. And what was he saying was potentially the amount of work that it needed before you went out to look? Was it sure? I said Ralph, go and look at it. He thought it was about. Uh, I think he said like sixty grand. He thought he thought it was going to be sixty k. Yeah. So you'd be all in for like three seventy five before fees and closing costs on fr- front and back for a Correct. house that's like four seventy five. Yeah. So you, you you thought the estimated profit was what? Like with ARV of 475, asking price of 315 and 60K of work. I, I thought I would probably be close to 80 grand. 80K. Okay. And what, what what do you look for? Like what interests you to go out and take a look? Well, I the style of the house, if it's cookie cutter, if I know I can get in, you know, quick, if it's in a good area, um, if I think it'll be a decent product to sell. You know, in some some spots or some houses, the design is just not good, and I I don't want to get involved in it. You know, like the outside looks like you know crap, and you know by the time you try to make somebody who really doesn't like that style house, it becomes a pain in the ass. Yeah. What about profit? What was your like? Uh, what's a profit number? Like minimum profit? Look, every deal I look to do between forty and sixty. Okay, forty to sixty. So forty k minimum. If it's less than that, you're like, I'm not even going to go look, or maybe I'll right. check it out just to see. And okay, so then you decided to go out there and look. You you mentioned it was on a busy road. Correct. How yellow. does that affect things, and why do you care about that? You knock it down. You knock down the price because you know if you're in New York City, everybody lives on a busy street. When you're in the suburbs, it matters. So you know some people, if they have kids, they don't really want to be on a double yellow, or they you know they're nervous of it. So it does, definitely reduces you know the uh, the price on it. And was that and that's what this was a double yellow line road? Correct. Correct. A single lane or two lanes per side? Single, single each side. Okay. So one lane per side, but double yellow. You know the speed limit? Yeah, was uh, it was thirty-five. Thirty-five. Okay. Okay, I got a road just like that on my way to the office, and there's no houses facing it. They're all in neighborhoods tucked back. There's yeah. a couple facing it. They're older houses when they had the road before the double yellow. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So you went out and looked. Tell me about that. Um, walked through the house, got in, did a quick walkthrough, realized that it was a cookie cutter, three bedroom, one bathroom ranch, one level. With a, when I went into the basement, it had a big basement, um, nine foot ceilings. So the first thought that came to my mind, if it's a first time home buyer, they could blow a hole through the wall, put an apartment down here and they could live for free. That's what I thought. Okay. 
when is I the basement finished? No, and I left it unfinished because I didn't think I'd get my return for the buyer that I was looking for. Okay, so a three bed, one bath. Do you, do you typically do one bathroom houses? Usually, no. Usually, I usually try to sneak another bathroom in. I make it like a three two. But on this one, I just thought, I thought with the location and the type of people that would that would buy it, they would be happy to buy in a house to get into, you know, like a starter home or, you know, just barely getting into a home. So those were going to be the kind of people and they wouldn't be as picky as as a buyer as if I was in a, a more established neighborhood. Okay. And so, uh, so after walking through, what did you, what do you look at? What are some of the things you look at? And then how much work do you think that it needed after walking through it? Okay. I look, when I first go in, I look at the kitchen. I look at the, I look at the electric. I look at the heating system. Um, I look at the central air or not. I look at the windows. Um, and I look to see if the heating system is oil or gas, because it does matter, you know, depending on that, that'll change the amount of work that I have to do. Um, windows, you know, bathrooms, if I got to gut them, kitchens, if I have to gut them, flooring, you know, sheetrock and paint is sheetrock and paint, you know, that's pretty standard. So I don't really look at that too much, you know, whether it's a little or a lot. What about, uh, there's a couple other things. What about like the roof and the foundation and stuff always like that? Do. Always look at the roof. When I first drive up, I, I actually circle the house and do exactly the same thing every time. I look at the roof, I look at the siding, I look at the windows, I walk around the back of the house to see if there's any damage, roof damage, if there's anything with the gutters, uh, see if there's any uh, areas where there may water may, you know, intrude the house, um, seeing, you know, if there's broken windows and all that kind of, I look at the foundation because usually in the back it's exposed and I, I go through that way. Okay. And I try to make sure nobody else broke in before I walk in. So that's why I don't walk into a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened. Yeah, if somebody was in there with the casings on the floor, that's a different story. Right? Yeah, well, okay. I, I've gotten shocked myself. You have? I've walked into a house and a guy came running out of a bedroom. And shot you? No, he didn't shoot me. No, oh. <laughs> no he said, I was shocked, not oh, shot. Oh, shocked. I thought you said you got <laughs> shot yourself, and I was like, oh, I my gosh. Shot. No, I... <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, this is going to be a um, a podcast all of in its own of Ralph got shot in a house. Um, no. I, uh, have been, I have been shocked like that too except there were two people that ran out and they didn't have any clothes on and oh, i was like hey. i called the wholesaler on my running to the car i was like you and because i mean they're like chasing me out of there i was like I, I, you told me this is gonna be vacant dude i'm never looking at one of your houses again <laughs> this is insane. okay so just to recap um before we got a little off track there electric <laughs> heating whether it's oil or gas windows uh kitchens bathrooms flooring the roof and the gutters. I think it was a good point that you brought up the gutters of the roof. That can get expensive potentially depending on the size. Um, something that I always ran numbers for. Uh, siding. So a lot of times that's overlooked. Siding materials, repairs of siding, especially if it's wood or vinyl siding. Some of that stuff can get expensive to repair. Um, water issues. Great point. The first house I ever bought had about six inches of water in the basement when I bought it. And I was able to find that it was, um, I bought it at auction. So I went over there and didn't have water in it when we looked at it before. And then it did. Um, but it was coming in from the outside of the house. It was easy cleanup of, of how to do that. Just a little bit of grading. And then plumbing. We kind of didn't talk about plumbing, but plumbing yeah, could plumbing, be a big expense. Most of the time, like this particular house, I went in there. I saw the baseboards were in good shape. Um, it looked like somebody just, you know, they kind of left the bathroom was in there, you know, it was destroyed. So when I figure a bathroom, I just figure it's gotten and it's plumbing and all. I usually just, that's normally what I do with the kitchen and the bathroom. I usually consider it as everything. So if I say kitchen and bath, that means the plumbing, you know, all the stuff relating to it, you know, the yep. water line. Great. So really kind of some of those big items. If, if there's like, is there anything that's like a deal breaker? If it's like a certain number of big items that you have to repair, you're like, I'm not doing it. Or is it just based on cost? Um, it, it's really just based on cost. I don't, I haven't really saw, I saw of one time a whole wall looked like it was falling off a house. It's, nah, that was too big of a job to, you know, by the time you do it, then the town gets involved and you got inspections and it's delays. And ah, I'm not doing it. I'll walk too, away from something like that. Too many unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing we didn't really talk about a hit on foundation. So uh, in certain areas, just depending on where you are, foundations can be huge things or very common things. So like I know in Pensacola, we, there are some where we had some foundation work we had to do. And once I started doing like a first foundation job, I could actually, I would always talk to the foundation company and just understand what they did. 
I think this is a, a mistake that a lot of people do is they don't get to know their subcontractors and contractors. Just understand, like you don't need to know how to do their job, but if you just understand a couple basics, then yeah. you can know what to look for in the future. And if even if I'm bringing somebody out for a free estimate, I'm just really curious. I just ask a lot of questions and try to understand like what should I look for. I, I literally say, hey. Uh, oh, wow. Like what they might say, oh, I'll write you up an estimate. I'm like, Hey, ballpark. What do you think this is going to be? Just, I'm, I'm not going to hold you to it. Give me a range here. And then right. they'll be like, Oh, it's going to be like $4,000. Like, Oh, wow. I thought it was going to be a lot more expensive. What would be more expensive? Like what would a 10 or $15,000 job look like? You know, yeah. and what should I look out for? And while they're there, get a little coaching. Like I'm not going to try to, <laughs> I'm not going to do foundation work, but what it does is it, it shows me and tells me things. I remember when I had the HVAC installer come in and he's installing, I'd be like, Hey, how much, like, if, if I had to do all the uh, ducting in here, what do you think right. that would cost? You know, and then how does it change if I do a bigger house? You know, how does this change? Because then he'd be asking me about the different ratings that I want for the air conditioner, the different types of air conditioner units and systems. And I just, right. like, hey, what's the warranty like this? What, what do you see with this? Well, he'd be like, oh, I used to install those for um, DR Horton. They break after like two or three years. Like, I would never put that company in your house. And be like, yeah. why? He's like, it's, it's incredibly cheap. And for like $300 more, you can just get a better unit. But they want to save 300 times 10,000 or 100,000 houses. And I'm fine paying $300 more for a better unit. And so yeah. just learning that stuff, I think, is one thing that, that a lot of house flippers don't do, is just understanding that. So, um, so Ralph, doing it for as long as you have, you probably have a relationship there and you probably have a good site for uh, some of the things that the cost of repairs and stuff like that. Yeah, I do. Um, I had I have a house in San Antonio that I did, and when I was there, I didn't realize how common foundation work was there. Oh, we got to put ten piers in there, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm panicking, and they're like, no, then you know, it's like common. So you're 100 percent right. Same thing with ACs, right? Some of the places you put split systems because it's a smaller house. Some places you'll run the whole duct work and and do all that stuff depending on you know the the price point of what you're selling at. And I did the same thing. I was I'm, I was curious and asked, you know, what size unit? You need a two-ton unit. It's that goes by square footage and all. So I learned basic stuff to just get me through. Like when I walked around, I was like, okay, this is a $10,000 job for, you know, AC. And it's, you know, 5000 for the for the furnace and, you know, whatever. So I, I can go through pretty good when it comes yeah, to that. Yeah, and that stuff comes with a little bit of experience and asking questions. Yeah. And in the beginning, you can get that through you know, going around with somebody else who's flipping houses, like, you know, Ralph took the young guy through the rental houses with him. Right. And yeah. he learned from Ralph and you can learn that. And that's how you do it. You just got to learn by doing. Don't and, be afraid or be, or being a part of what somebody else is doing. Yeah. Don't be afraid to be the dumbest guy there. There's no harm in that. You know, a lot of people have this thing attached to them. You know, I want to seem like I don't know what I'm talking about. I learned the hard way. I don't leave unless I understand. And if I don't understand, I'm not doing it. Just it's just that simple. It's that complicated, then I don't belong being involved. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great advice, and uh, that's for me too. I just was like, hey, I, I, I've never done this before, so talk me through what you're doing, and right. I don't have to know exactly how to do their job. Like I said, I don't need to know everything. I don't need to get it down to the penny, but just give me some ballpark figures that I can run and look at, and and I just try to build relationships with people, just like you talked about from the beginning of this with the networking. Okay. Is let me just let me and and honestly. When you're curious about somebody else's profession and what they're doing, they're excited to share it. Oh, absolutely. Like when, I, when I would ask trades questions, they'd be like, I, I could never get that question from the homeowner. <laughs> you know, like, why yeah. do you care what I'm doing? You're just paying me to do this job, right? But they, they love it. You know, they want to talk about what they're doing. And so I think that's key. And I think a lot of people miss that. This can be like, hopefully something big that you take from this is like, you know, if I'm paying somebody to be out there, I'm learning yeah. for sure. Um. Okay, so you walk through. What did you think this was going to cost after walking through? How much? I thought um, I was in the in my range. It was forty five to fifty five thousand is what I thought. Okay, it's always nice. Remember, he said it, he thought um, the the broker said sixty k in work. So it's always nice when our estimate comes in below what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so you made a, so asking was three fifteen. You walked out of there and call, what was it? Just walk me through. Short, you call him up. It was a short sale, so I'm on the phone on the way out. And say, okay, I'm in. Let's go. Let's get the paperwork. Let's get it started. Um, and that's what I did. So I got it locked up that way. Um, then we were waiting for final bank approval. So through this whole process, going through contract and all that, we needed bank approval. The bank came back and raised the price. 
They came back, went from 315 to 340. 340. They won. So, so what I real quick, Ralph, before you keep going, um, a short sale is basically you have a property that ha that's worth something. There's a loan on it, and you're trying to get the bank to accept less than what's owed on the property to let go of it so they don't have to foreclose on it and go through all of that process. So, uh, so in a short sale, th this was very, when I started flipping houses, this was, you know, one of the ways that I was buying properties and it was um, that you could ask whatever you wanted for the house, but the yep. bank approval is what matters. So they can ask, I mean, literally this, th this family could ask $50,000 for the house if they want, right. you know, the broker could be like listed for 50 K get uh, 150 offers, accept whatever they want and then submit it to the bank. And then the bank has to make the final approval. In this case, the bank said, no, we're not taking 315, but we will take 340. So just that's the background of a short sale because they just haven't been that prevalent, uh, you know, over the last, oh, geez, like, you know, eight years now yeah. so, or so. Just so if you haven't heard that and you're newer to real estate, that's what that is. And so they said 340, what happened next, Ralph? I went out and I called up a home inspector that I know. And I had him go through the house and write down all the deficiencies and put a dollar figure to it. So he gave me that report, cost me like 400 bucks. He gave it to me. I took that, submitted it back with my offer, and they lowered the price down to 320. Okay. So, dude, this is a huge, like, rock star tip right here. Oh, my gosh. Um, what, like when you added up all that stuff, what did it come to from the home inspector? Oh, like 200 and change, you know, 200K? Yeah. 200. They go oh, like yeah. crack. Oh, this has mold. This has, you know, the plumbing's no good. Look at this. Look at, you know, home inspectors, they crawl and they take pictures of everything. Yeah. So, so you got a full, the full report because the bank's never gone to this house. The bank has no idea what it looks like. They might've seen like maybe two or three pictures, but probably none. Um, it's some asset manager that's just managing the bank's money and somebody who's he probably doesn't even live in New York, maybe, but probably doesn't. Right. And so he's making a decision. He's just like looking on Zillow. It's like Zillow says this is worth 525. So I'm going to say 340. Yeah. And then you came back with this. And, and did you keep your offer at 315? It went to 320 and I said, okay. They but came but I'm saying you, you submitted that. You submitted yeah. that report with your 315 and said, this is why I'm at 315. I'm here Correct. because of all this. Correct. And then they said, all right, we'll do 320. Correct. Dude, most people probably would. I thought you were going to say, I sent a home inspector out there just to make sure there wasn't anything that I was missing and you were going to accept 340. This is this is a varsity move. If you're listening to this, that right there, that tip, probably make you an extra $100,000 if you're buying shorts. If you're buying anything, frankly. You could do this well, with a homeowner too. Yeah. So 400 so, gives me 20,000. 20,000. Okay, 320. And, and you got the report, so you got to see some of the stuff that, you know, let him crawl in the crawl space and up in the attic or wherever they have to go. You said it's a basement. So like whatever, like he's getting dirty and now you got the report and you can see actually what, what the next one's likely going to look like when you sell it. So what, yeah. what do I need to fix? I can actually show you pictures, but I don't know if I can show them on here, but anyway. Yeah, most people will be listening. Did you, um, did, after that, did you adjust your, uh, the amount of work that you thought you had to do or still at 40, 45? No. Okay. I actually the same between 45 and 55. I okay, cool. So, so then no problems. The bank approved it. 320. Did it close? Fast? While, you know, by the time they gave it to 320, we approved. And by the time clear title, there was a couple of things on there that took a little bit. And then we, I had during that process, being that a good relationship with the realtor, I got four different contractors going there and start giving me bids. Oh, uh, that's, that's smart. So one of them came back at 70. One guy came back at 60. And then the guy that then another guy came back at like fifty, and then the guy I settled on said Ralph between forty five and fifty, and I I really liked the guy, and I said you know I liked the way he worked. I had saw his work before, and he he attacks the place. He brings like ten guys. They work. He did the house. The house was completed in two and a half weeks. Wow. Yeah. He just they just ate it up. I so, usually try to get like ten k a week, just a rough like back of the envelope. Math. Yeah, um, and that's fast. Two and a half weeks, forty-five, fifty-five k. What was your all-in cost for repairs? Do you do you know? Yeah, my my uh, rehab came to forty fifty-seven thousand one sixty-five. Okay, lesson to be learned here uh, for everyone that's listening. Um, the guy who said forty-five to fifty-five came in at just over fifty-seven. I bet the guy that came in at sixty would have probably come in around seventy. 
And so just realize there's always something that's going to come up. And so give yourself a little contingency on top of what you're being quoted and what you're looking at. Um, the other piece that, that I want to make sure that I point out here is Ralph had this deal under contract at 320. While he was under contract at 320 and we we're trying to get bank approval, get the title to get done, all that stuff, all the paperwork, he had four contractors go in there and give him a bid. Now, at this point, he's still not required to buy the house. Like he could have, he could have gotten out of that contract for probably financing, for inspection, for all kinds of stuff. While he had four contractors, so he put it under contract. He negotiated the contract. He had a home inspector go look at it. He went and looked at it. And then he had four contractors bid it all while he's not required to buy the house yet. There's still some, some outs that he had. So if you're, if you're waiting to make your first offer until you have it all figured out, this is how people that are making money in real estate do it. And I want to add the down payment I had to put was only a thousand bucks. A thousand bucks down that it, even if, if you I went over your timeline, you would have lost a thousand dollars. Right. And I said, exactly. So I wasn't concerned about the down payment, right? I locked it up. And then if I found out I did something major wrong and somebody comes and says, Ralph, listen, the main beat, but a house, you got to do something crazy. Then I could walk away and lose a thousand bucks. I was fine with it. And everybody listening, it's, it's a t probably his earnest money deposit. Not, Correct. I don't want you to get confused with a down payment because you're used no. to buying your own houses with like 20% down or three and a half percent down. And then the rest is a loan. He's talking about an earnest money deposit. So like what you could lose if you go past the deadline and you say, you know what, I'm not going to close. And then it's a thousand dollars. So his earnest money deposit was a thousand. So it's just earnest money saying, I'm going to put this up and this can go at risk for not closing. We just closed an apartment building yesterday. We had $500,000 of non-refundable deposit down. That went hard on that deal. If we didn't close yesterday, we could we could have lost five hundred thousand dollars of our cash. So like, that that's a big deal, thousand dollars, and then and then his four hundred dollars for the inspection. So at most before closing, he lost four hundred dollars on the inspection, and then after closing, but that 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 four hundred thousand dollars bought him twenty thousand dollars, and yeah. so then a thousand dollars of EMD. So I just I want to point that out because I think a lot of people are like stuck. I got to have it all figured out before I even put a house under contract. It's not true. Like you don't need to know exactly what the rehab costs are. You don't need to exactly all the stuff. Get a rough estimate. And that's where Ralph is. He's got a, he's got an idea, right? He's broad numbers. He's got the, the ARV. He's got the purchase price. He's got the rehab, rehab costs and some of the carrying costs. And then he went out and got the, the, the contractors to come look. And then after that, okay, let me make a decision. Okay, so you closed on the house. You did the repairs, fifty-seven one sixty-five. Did you sell it already? You sell this house already? Yeah, yeah, I closed already. I'm, oh, what'd you sell it for? I thought it was going to be four seventy-five house. I sold yeah. it for five twenty-five. Five twenty-five. Oh my gosh! What, did you list it for five twenty-five, or did you list it less and it went over? What happened? No, the, the same guy who brought me the deal, I gave it back to him. Yep. So he list. listed it. He listed it for sale as a broker. I told him, listen, let's list it for four ninety-nine under five hundred. I think that that'll be fine. We'll get so much activity. Don't worry about it. And I don't care because I think it's a 479 house. If somebody comes and puts offers a little less, I don't care. He goes out there and he goes, Ralph, you're wrong. There's nothing out there. Let's put it up for five and a quarter. Let's see what happens. We put it up between Christmas and the week before Christmas. And I sold it during the week between Christmas and New Year's. Wow. That's like the, that's like the kith of, kiss of death time. I, I like... Yeah. Always like never listed a house before Christmas. Like try not to list them in between Thanksgiving said. and Christmas. But I thought the price, because to be honest with you, like I said, there's not many rehabbed houses for $500,000 in Long Island. Yeah. So I figured I'd get the activity, which I did. I didn't get overwhelmed, right? I thought there would be more, but the ones that I did and the ones that came, like that person happened to move from the city. So they're used to the busy street, used to everything, boom. Yeah. And they bought it. That's great. I love it. Yeah. So, so you bought 320, put 57 and some change into it, 57,165. So you're in there for like 377,165. Then you got some carrying costs, holding costs. How did you finance the project? All cash. Your money? Somebody else's money? Uh, friend, uh, I've got a partnered up with. Okay. Partner, partner brought the money. Yep. Okay. Was it interest? Was it equity? What, what, what was that? No, we did a 50-50 equity split. 50-50 split. So you had no money in the deal. 
Nope. And uh, three seventy-seven. So, what did you net on this? Well, actually, all-in cost was holding and only a little crap. It came to three eighty-two and change. So we netted one hundred and fifteen thousand. One hundred and fifteen thousand. Oh my gosh! And you were planning on making eighty. Yeah, so, 80. I would have at seventy. I would have been happy. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you said you're you're looking for forty to sixty, so so okay. All this goes to show. There's a couple things that I learned, some takeaways for me, and then I'll ask you some takeaways, Ralph, that that you had in this. Um, one is what I what I really like is is I love the idea of getting a lot of the costs down, like to understand the costs while um while it's under contract i feel like that's a big sticking point for people that's something i definitely want to like tap the table here and say um you're not you're not like guaranteeing that you're going to buy these houses you're not you're not you're not committing he's ralph didn't say put three hundred and twenty thousand dollars in a pot and if he didn't uh if he didn't buy it he was going to lose it you know there's a lot of like very de-risking the situation massively with some contingencies in the contract and things like that. Um, the next one was, I love the inspection piece, like getting the inspector to go out there to, to justify his offer. He was figuring out how to justify his offer because a bank is very logical, right? If it was a motivated seller, it would be very emotional, most likely, of why they were selling. So I want you to understand that you're typically not like, using this as leverage against a uh, motivated seller, although you could, you could do use this strategy with, with other people just like, just, Hey, and I've done that. It's like, Hey, this is like, I have to do all this work and they know it needs work a lot of times. So you just lean into that and then they understand. Um, and then the next piece was, um, I also think right here, a lot of people use money as a big problem. Like, Oh, I don't have the money. I don't have the money. Well, Ralph didn't use any of his own money. He brought in a partner. I did about 12, 50, 50 deals in the beginning of my career with a money partner. And I didn't have any money in the deal. I just, I just found it. I did the work. I managed the project and we split it 50, 50. So yeah, I'd rather make 50% of a $115,000 than 0% of nothing or a hundred percent of nothing. Right. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a great deal. I love it. Ralph, what are some of the things that you'd like to share with the folks that are listening? Um, I, and really, I, I think most, like, what can we get? How can we get them off the bench? Well, listen, it doesn't take much to go out and look at a house, right? And if you think it's a deal, you go for one. If you're unsure, you just bring somebody with you who's sure about numbers, right? Because the whole thing is, a lot of times in my, the beginning of my career, the same person who brought it to me, I gave it back to them to sell, right? So again, both sides of the commission, again, the in and the out. So now my, my words always to them were, you better be accurate with the ARV, because if you don't sell it for what you tell me we're going to sell it for, then obviously you and I ain't going to be doing much business together. So I'm doing this. I got people behind me. I'm flipping houses. If we want to continue to do business, you got to be accurate with your numbers. That'll help you. That's that part of it, right? So if you run sure, you run your numbers, and then you go to a professional who does it every day, they should actually be close to what you think it is, right? That's one. Then the second part, when you're going through, you pay, you bring somebody with you, even if you got to pay them the first couple of times, you bring a contractor through that you either through recommendations to somebody, not just some, any guy, I would try to find through people that, you know, through networking, bring a guy there, let him give you a ballpark price. So then now you have the pieces, those two biggest pieces that you need, the after repair value, which is the biggest piece, right? Because if you get that wrong, it messes everything else up. You have your uh, rental costs, so you're deducting that out. Then all you have to figure out is what you need for a closing and what type of profit you're looking to. So you'll have most of the numbers already there or backing up what you think it is, right? So if you think that was worth 500, you have a realtor come in and say it's worth 510. Okay, you're right, right? So you're pretty close. If you think it's a $100,000 renovation, turns out to be, you know, 80,000 because somebody knows better than you. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You're there. So, you know, you take out the two scariest parts that most people think about. The money, if it's a, if it's this, I can't stress enough. If it is really a deal, you'll get the money. Everybody wants to make money. So even hard money lenders, even, you know, if you're going through private lending, like I do, you know, I do a combination of both. You can do some private money and then some, you know, some hard money, however you want to stack it and do it. If it's a real deal, you'll have meat in there and you'll be able to do it. And you'll be able to afford it. That's the Correct. thing. A lot of people like if you need money in a day or two days, it's really expensive. But if it's a really good deal, 
that deal will afford the cost of that money. And then it's your job as the borrower to go out and find the cheapest money. Usually the cheapest money takes the longest to get, the most right. expensive money you can get right away. But if your deal can afford the expensive money, it can definitely afford the cheap money. So then go out and find the cheap money. And then if you have to, take the expensive money. Like a 50-50 deal on this, this was expensive money. Oh, absolutely. You know? I could have I could have easily went, to be honest with you, some of the ways to do it in the beginning to save money is you go and you get the loan on the on the property for the purchase of it and you finance the rehab, right? You you know have some private money to do the rehab if you don't have all if you don't have the the ability to raise as much as I, I'm lucky enough to be able to do. But right, but in the beginning that's how I did. I had somebody who who gave me, you know, like 8% money to do a rehab and I'm paying 11%, you know, to on money lender. It's yep. cheaper and it's faster. I don't have to wait for inspections. I just run right through the project and that saves me money by I saved money just by the project being done in two and a half weeks. It oh, saved yeah. me you know, two months of, of payments. So if you, if you had the taxes and everything. In New York, that's a lot of money. It's expensive. Oh, it's big. It's big. So the, the last thing that I want to say that, that I feel like it was a huge, um, a huge aha for me, and I hope everybody listening got the same thing, is Ralph knows his area so well that he found a house in that strike point, that price point, that is a no brainer when it comes to sell. Like so many people want it. He's saying below like 625, 650, there's nothing there. And he's got this thing right around 500, which is significantly lower. So obviously it's entry level price point, even though it's a busy road, the price is offsetting the road and some of the other things that we're detracting. So he knows that this thing's going to sell really fast and, um, and he knows it really well. So really like figure out your buy box, figure out what you're looking for, understand it. And, and then go do those kind of deals in the beginning. Like you don't need to go do the million multi-million dollar houses in your area that have like one perfect buyer that you have to find for it, but you're going to make a ton of money. Like don't, I wouldn't do that in the beginning. I really do these cook bread and butter first, second time home buyers, really that first time home buyer, that sweet spot, slightly below the median home price, but still a nice house and a nice area. Like, that is the gold mine. That's that was my bread and butter. I hit singles over and over and over again. And occasionally you're gonna knock it out of the park like this thing at $115,000 property. Yeah. See the other one I just did, I did another one in Ron Congo in the same area. I made 40 grand. You know, so it, it, you know, it's like you said, but it's houses that you know, areas that you know, and first time home buyers is your biggest pool of people. You don't like I said, you don't want to go looking in a place where you know, if I had a million dollar home right here, I would sell it, but it's going to be longer. Carrying costs are bigger. Everything is just so much bigger. I, I'd rather just do these, to be honest with you. Yep. And I think there's a model for that too. There's a model, like I had uh, Nathan on and he his model was, I'm going to do more higher price points because nobody else is buying those. There's no other yes, flipper that's doing those. So he's carved out a niche for him. And and But I'll tell you, I like... I personally was hitting singles and doubles and occasionally I would get that triple or home run. But, you know, I, I knew that that price point, I was never going to get stuck with the house. It's never going to have to carry it. And it just was, and I also built those kind of contractors, those relationships. People knew that this, those were the houses that I bought. If I was a luxury flipper, I would build those kind of contractors. People would, I would be known for that. It's all about how, like, whatever your strategy is. They both work if yeah. done right. And so I, I yeah, I was asked to move up into certain houses and I knew that I needed a different level of people and all. And I wasn't willing. I was like, nah, I'd, I'd rather just invest in it. You have all the contractors, you have all that high end stuff. You go do it. I'd rather just buy a piece of it as opposed to just being the guy doing it. Yep. I love it. Hey, last question before we wrap up. What, what has the runway program provided you for potentially like this deal? Was there anything in there that you learned there or some things that you asked questions about or any of that stuff for this deal or potentially any others? Well, you know what? Listen, the way I look at it, the runway has, is, is foundational, right? So it gives you the tools. You know, you have the trainings on there to go back. If you're unsure of something, you can go back and look and say, okay, you know, I have to look at this. I have to look at that. For me, between that and the laser coaches, when I was speaking with them, Right. Because I had went through most of them and then I wound up sticking on a couple because, you know, you, you build a rapport with people. It made me realize a lot of times you don't understand how much you really know. You're so afraid of doing something wrong, but you know it. You're just doubting yourself. And when you're talking to people and you realize what you know, because they'll ask you a question or two and you're answering it, you know, you're just afraid. You know, and I, and I think a lot of the runway try basically gives you confidence to do that.
It teaches you value. It teaches you, it teaches you the tactics to go through, the methodology. But also when you start talking and you, and you start understanding and you know that you're starting to grasp it, it gives you the foundation to go. Because you got the small accountability groups are great because each person in that group has something a little different that they need. And by having those small, those conversations back and forth, once again, it reinforces what you know and where you're weak on somebody else may be stronger than helping you out and giving you pointers on. That's that's really what the, the boost was for me. I love that. I think you're exactly right. Um, confidence is the key. The more confidence we can get, the more trust that we can have in ourselves, the better decisions that we're going to make. And especially for you, coming in with as much experience as you had. Like, I remember when you came in, I was like, you know, this guy knows what he's doing. And But you'd be asking questions. You were on all the calls. You were being, you were involved. You were in there. You were in the Facebook group. Like, it was really cool to see. And you're just constantly learning. And so picking up a thing or two here, but to hear you say that, like boosting your confidence, like that's what I felt like you needed from the beginning is like understand how much you actually know and how much experience you have. And once your confidence boosted, it's like game over. Like, and I yeah. love that for you. Yeah. I wouldn't hire anybody in the beginning. Remember, I told you, I'm not hiring nobody. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. Meanwhile, now I got three people working. So it's, it's, you know, it's totally changed that, you know, like I said, confidence level change it. And then, like I said, talking to the coaches, they have different experience levels. So they basically have the blueprint blueprint. And if you ask the right questions or go down the right road, it makes it a lot easier. It does really does. Yeah. I, I love this. I try to keep these podcasts short, but I can't stop. Like this, <laughs> this was so good. There was so much gold in here. Like it's impossible for me to like, to cut it in short, cut it in half. Um, if you're interested in runway, you can go to sevenfigurerunway.com. It's the number sevenfigurerunway.com. It's a quick, quick application, like 30 second, like application, jump on a call with my team. It's a consulting call, but just figure out where you are, where you want to be and whether we're the right fit for you or not. We're going to tell you all of that. And if we're not, we're going to give you some advice of where to point you. And um, just, just kind of, you know, check in and see where you're at. And see if we can help you. If we can, we'd love to give you an invite to join the group. Um, and if not, we'll point you in some other direction. So it's no risk, no uh, uh, no pressure. So just go to Seven Figure Runway, the number sevenfigurerunway.com. Uh, Ralph, what do you need and how can I help you? Like where can people find out more about you? What are some things that you're looking for? Maybe some wholesale deals in your area, some more of these networking. Somebody's got some short sales or something that are oh, $115,000 on the bone. I always look for uh, more deals in my area. I mean, anybody I can connect with in, in a local area. I've actually connected with Ron Angel because he's local. So nice. I went out to lunch with him the other day, had a really good time. Good guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, listen, I'm always looking for deals, always looking for private money. Anybody who wants to, uh, you know, lend, you can reach out to me. You can, uh, you can email me at ralph at 2rproperty.com or .net. Either one, I got both. Or you can reach me at 516-884-9527. And follow me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> doing the 500K challenge on there. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Ralph. Very bold giving out your cell phone number. Um, 2rproperties.com, right? 2rproperties.com or .net? Property with a Y, property. Property. 2rproperty.com or .net. And yeah. Ralph at 2rproperty.com. And yeah. uh, we'll put in the show notes too so you guys have it. And it'll be um, there if you uh, want to connect with Ralph, talk with him. Ralph, thanks for being here. It's always uh, so fun to talk to uh, one of our members who's doing well. And um, it was great to see you last month. And I'm excited for your future. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it was a great event. People should go. Ah, I hear that? Go to sevenfigurerunway.com, fill out an application. The number sevenfigurerunway.com. And uh, I'll see you on the next show. Bye.